The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, Vanessa Shakur, is a visual artist, herbalist, environmental activist, and the founder of Sacred Warrior, an organization devoted to deepening our relationships with the environment. Her new book is Awakening Artemis, Deepening Intimacy with the Living Earth and Reclaiming Our Wild Nature. Vanessa Shakur, welcome to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm really happy to have you here. I'm very, the book was really a great read. It oh, was, thank you. It, it, I mean, you explore things that I knew nothing about. So it was, it's always a pleasure to go, oh, wow, I'm getting new information. Oh, good. And I, since I was all new, I don't really have an opinion. So okay. you actually get to talk with me uh, without me talking at you. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, I was in, intrigued just by starting with the dedication of your book. You dedicate the book to your mom, Andrea, and to Mother Earth and to your wild green friends, especially weeds. Uh, you know, right there, I was going, weeds? Weeds are my friends? So, and yet the title of the book leads us to the Greek goddess Artemis. So I thought it would be a good place to start to have you tell us a little bit about Artemis and why or how Artemis came into your life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting, actually. I, I was, became reacquainted with Artemis through a weed, speaking of weeds. My, one of the first plants I worked with when I started my herbal training is Artemisia vulgaris, which is mugwort, very, very common weed that grows throughout temperate regions of the world. And at the time, I was living in Brooklyn, New York, and just really starved for nature. And this plant was everywhere around me. And I learned at the time, I was, I was delving into herbal, herbal practice. And when I learned that this plant was edible and medicinal, had this rich history and folklore, and then learned the botanical name relating to Artemis, it just it brought so many pieces of the puzzle together for me. And I always had a connection to Artemis. She is the Greek goddess of the moon, the protector of the wild, of, of nature, of animals, protector of women. And I, when I was doing research for the book, I became really, really interested in the ways that these guardians of the wild, these mythical guardians of the wild become literal guardians when we believe in them or when we honor them. So as an environmental activist, 
the, the archetype of Artemis really brought everything together for me. And then as a woman who, you know, who's overcome a lot of obstacles personally and a martial artist, I also identify with Artemis as an activist. You know, I feel like she's an archetype of, of the environmental activist, a woman warrior. So it just, it just brought all of these elements of the book together for me, the plans, you know, my own impulse to protect and defend the earth and women and my own body. And then also this idea of a guardian of the land. Yeah, it seems like Artemis pulled together not only just aspects in the book, but in your life. It, it just sort of Absolutely. resonated in a way that brought a, a harmony mm-hmm. uh, to all these different elements in your life that, that she could she could embody. You know, one of the things that, I mean, you've mentioned it several times already, that I'm very interested in is the notion of wildness. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're you're growing up in Brooklyn, or I guess at the time you're you're talking about, you're, you're in Brooklyn. Like you said, Brooklyn is not a hotbed of nature, though I've read that a tree grows in Brooklyn. But I don't know where wildness comes in, in the context of Western industrial, post-industrial civilization. We don't seem to have room for wildness. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Well, I, I, I see the word wild and, you know, I really, I have to kind of nod to Lorsa Pinkola SD's book, Women Who Room with the Wolves. She defines wild in, in the same way that I do. And I really was very influenced by that. You know, just really our original name, it's not being out of control. It's being attuned to our, you know, our authentic selves in a way. It's peeling back all the layers of conditioning. And that can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be in the middle of, of the woods or in the jungle. It can happen in, in the middle of Brooklyn too. So I see wildness as, you know, our natural selves. Yeah, I think that's really important mm-hmm. uh, that we're talking, we're not talking about being out of control. Exactly. I, I think a lot of people, and maybe it's just me, so let me not blame other people. But when when I sometimes when I think of the the idea of wild, I'm what the, the image sadly that pops into my head is the QAnon shaman, you know, just oh. howling in the well <laughs> of of the House of Representatives. He's he's not he's not acting out of his true nature. But the exactly. wild you're talking about is essential to who we are as beings. I won't even say mm-hmm. human beings, but as beings. And yet it seems to me that the institutions that we grow up in, school, work, you know, these things are, are really designed to dampen the wildness, to yes, maybe even erase absolutely. our essential nature. Mm-hmm. How, how does your work, how is your work a resistance to that? Well, it's interesting before, so Long before I, I wrote the book, I was doing a lot of outdoor education. So I started studying herbalism really seriously about 15 years ago. And the reason I find that this practice is such a powerful way to help people reclaim their wildness is, for me, it felt like a deep remembering that we are interconnected um, with the land. So for example, you know, like I was mentioning the weeds, bringing back the weeds that you mentioned earlier all of our ancestors worked with plant medicine and, and we've become blind to these plants that are around us that have uses for, you know, to help us to heal. They're woven into folklore, history, medicine, food, you know, so we're, we're walking around oblivious to all of this 
history around us that can also connect us back to our ancestral roots, you know, our indigenous roots, no matter where we're from, we all practice plant medicine. We all, at one point, you know, we're in harmony with the land. And so, for example, when I, when I was doing more retreats before COVID, I would bring people into these experiences, have them unplug, bring them through plant walks, reintroduce them to these wild plants. And I, it's, it's very, it's really interesting that that exposure, bringing people into these experiences of, of connection to nature, teaching them how to make medicine. It's like I said, it feels like a deep remembering to people. And they, and it's just like, once you lift that veil between people in the natural world, they can't unsee that. They see the land and the plants differently and something drops away. Well, there are a few things up away. I feel like a level of anxiety drops away because they're like, oh, you know, these plants around us, like nature is really, you know, here, not, I shouldn't say here to take care of us, but in the sense of, you know, we're not alone. You know, there are, there is, there are so many resources like literally under our feet. So, you know, for me stripping away and, and dropping into my body in that way. I just, when I walk in the woods now, or when I, when I'm alone in nature, I feel very supported and I feel such a strong sense of belonging that has been so healing for me. And I really, you know, I aim to bring, help people remember that too, and bring them into those experiences that make them to make them feel that way. And then there's less grasping, right? There's less of this, this wanting to consume or you're, you're acting less from a place of scarcity and fear when you realize that you know, you're into, you're connected, you're woven into this web of life and you understand that these plants around you are not just weeds. They're not dangerous. They're not poisonous. And you can learn how to work with them. You know, you can, you can remember that aspect of your wild nature. Let, let me pick up on this word that you've used a couple of times about you know, remember, remembering. Mm-hmm. For, two things that strike me when you're saying that. One is, if it's an act of remembering, you don't, the person who's remembering doesn't lack anything. Right. It's not exactly. like, right, there's no new thing I have to get. This is right. something that I'm given probably in the womb, or at least mm-hmm. it starts, right? Mm-hmm. And then I lose it. And I, and I would argue, because I'm into conspiracy theories, too, <laughs> I, I would argue there's a conspiracy that, that tries to get us to forget this true nature. And, and is driven out, and that, and that we need to remember who we really are. Yeah. And, and let me let me just add a couple of things, and I invite you to, to comment. Mm-hmm. If you, I like to write the word often. Remember with a hyphen, so R E hyphen member. Yeah. That we put ourselves back together because uh, we are parts of a larger whole, and we we put ourselves we, we remember the whole of which we are a part, mm-hmm. and none of that is commodified, right? You can't, right. okay, so that, I mean, you're, we're on the same page. So, so speak to that if you can, that, that you have what you need to be whole. Mm-hmm. You've, been, you've been conditioned to, to unwholeness so that, you, so that you can be sold the product of wholeness. But exactly. through the way of the herbalist, it sounds like to me, it sounds to me that it, it, through the way of the herbalist, there's you're you're shattering the entire spiritual consumer 
industrial <laughs> complex, mm-hmm. if, if that's a term. Does that, does that speak to what you're doing? It does. It really does. And, you know, and, I, and, I, and it's not just herbalism. Like, you know, in the book, I, I draw from other practices and disciplines that have helped me. I often use the term peeling back layers of conditioning, you know, shedding, shedding old skins. And yeah, and then that, I, I really like that, the way that you said that, the remember, you know, putting your, it's like you, so as, as you know, I, I started the book with, with a car accident that I had when I was 16 years old and it literally shattered me. You know, I fractured my back and my neck and being in stillness for that period of time, I, I felt dismembered <laughs> quite literally, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had no, none of my old defense mechanisms. I had, everything was shattered. And so that's why I start the book there because I literally had to remember, I'd bring the pieces of myself back together, put them back together. But, you know, I always see that, that experience as a real blessing in disguise because I had the, I had the opportunity to, to examine all of these things that I'd been like trying to hold on to so tightly, you know, all of this, these ideas of who I was, social conditioning, what success meant to me, you know, really putting a lot of pressure on myself to quote unquote succeed. And then also the trauma that I was kind of trying to avoid, but that broke everything open. I had to confront myself. And, and so I would say probably for a couple of years, I was just falling apart. But then, you know, going back to that term, like the hyphen of the remember, I was able to put the pieces back together. But that kind of revealed that authentic, wild, original self. Like I came into contact with that part of me that was always there, always at peace, waiting to be, you know, waiting to be remembered and waiting to be accessed again. You know, I just feel like that, that part of us is always there, that kind of wild nature, that, that, that original nature, that sense of wonder I had when I was a kid. I was always out in the woods all the time when I was a kid. So I really feel like the, the herbal practice, the environmental activism, the, all of the work I've done, you know, studying ecology is going back to, to something, it's not anything new, not only is it not anything new for me, I don't feel like it's anything new ancestrally, anything new as a human being, you know, but it was, I was inclined, inclined to do all of that when I was a kid. I was always making potions in the woods and, you know, and so I just, that accident and all of my healing practice, let all of that other stuff fall away that was globbed onto me that wasn't mine, you know? So yeah, so it's, it's, it's a combination of peeling back layers. For me, not only herbalism, herbalism to me is an entry point for connecting people to nature. It's, you know, I, I mentioned the weeds a lot in the book because they're common plants that grow everywhere that, that can help us to access that connection. And it's accessible. You know, they grow in urban areas. They're tenacious. They have so much vitality and life force energy. And I think they're also important to, to kind of rewire our perception of weeds because not only do we forget who they are as medicine, as access to our ancestral, you know, kind of lineage of, of uses of them because they were brought here for a reason originally, but, you know, we also try to eradicate them. You know, we, we poison ourselves and get rid of, of these plants like dandelion that could be food and medicine for us. So it's pretty insane (laughs) if you think about it. So we're, we're killing off our food and medicine and then poisoning our land in the process and killing the microbes in the soil. And yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 there's a lot more to the book than, than weeds, but you have, you know, different weeds are, are sort of in every chapter. And that's what really captured my imagination and, and made me excited about reading the book because I don't know anything about this stuff. But as I was reading it, I was thinking of all the ways, and I won't go through all the ones we could come up with, but all the ways we use the word weed as a pejorative. Mm, yeah. You know, like you're lost in the weeds and, you know, that, that, that kind of thing, or, or like kudzu. I don't know if kudzu has uh, any, any value, but yeah, it grow, something grows like kudzu and it chokes off the life of a tree or something. The, 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 the use of the word weed is so negative. And it sounds mm -hmm. to me, from what you're saying, that this is part of you know, maybe conscious, I don't know, but if not conscious, then an unconscious desire on the part, according to, as I read it in your book, according to the patriarchal side of humanity, patriarchal religion, patriarchy in general, even science, to denature the world in which we live. Mm -hmm. So you're really pushing back on a very fundamental level. I don't know if this is conscious, but I suspect it is. Mm -hmm. You're pushing back on a very fundamental level against the tide that dominates human discourse at the moment. I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about moving to another planet and terraforming it and, you know, right. let the earth go to hell when yeah. we're going to go start out over in, on Mars or something. I've seen the documentary with Arnold Schwarzenegger about Mars. It doesn't look that pleasant, but, you know, once they get the oxygen going, maybe it'll be better for them. But it really is an anti-nature and therefore, and I think this is safe to say, therefore anti-women uh, worldview that, oh, yeah. that is just killing us the way it's, like you said, the way, the way it's killing the weeds. You write in the book, well, actually you quote James Baldwin in the mm -hmm. book. I love James Baldwin. And I'll just read the sentence too that I want you to comment on. This is James Baldwin. He writes, the victim who is able to articulate the situation of the victim has ceased to be a victim. He or she becomes a threat. Mm -hmm. Now you can unpack the first part, but I'm most interested in becoming a threat. A mm -hmm. threat to whom? And if you see yourself, and I'll tell you up front, I do. If you see yourself in your work as a threat. Mm -hmm. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So, well, to the, to the status quo. I mean, to go back to what you were 
you know, touching on before, you know, this idea of ecofeminism, right? How the abuse of nature and the abuse of women is very much intertwined, you know, and, I, and that, and that I actually touch on that in that chapter in particular, the wild rose chapter, because I, you know, I, I wrote about my sexual assault and this, it, the, the chapter is framed, it's really about not asking permission. And, and we do that to the land just the way that, you know, a lot of women um, are assaulted in that way. You know, the land and women's bodies often suffer, suffer this non-consensual penetration, extraction, you know, and even, even if they haven't been violated, there's this kind of commodification of women's bodies in our culture. But, and like, you know, the earth is constantly, you know, abused in that way. But on the flip side, you know, going back to the weeds, if you leave somebody give somebody the time and space to heal, just as like, if you leave, give the land the time and space to heal. I mean, sometimes we need to, we're at a point now where we do have to intervene in many cases because the land has just become so unbelievably depleted. But if that's not the case, you know, the earth can regenerate. And so, you know, these weeds are healing forces in some ways. Obviously there are some that are invasive species that are, like you said, kind of overwhelming an ecosystem that but that's usually you know disturbed ecosystems where humans have come in and created an imbalance so you know going back to the james baldwin quote i do see that i see it i see it from a grassroots perspective and i like the analogy of the weed you know it's this force that that arises from underground like a seed right it's this tiny thing but then eventually just spreads and and takes over. And so there's this, I, there's, there's this incredible relentlessness and tenacity and, you know, just life force energy in these, in these weeds that can also be kind of an ally for those of us who are, are working to, to, and I, you know, out on earth or uproot is the wrong term when what we're talking about to just dismantle these, these really damaging patriarchal and capitalist ways of extracting from the earth and from our bodies too. you know, going back to the, the, the wild, you know, I see rewilding the self as, as coming back to our original nature and rewilding the land. Like I read about a lot in the book is letting the land heal, you know, bringing back the, the relationships needed for the land to thrive. And we don't have to control the land, you know, you know, whether it's like a manicured lawn or these like very, controlled gardens or monoculture, you know, there's this idea of just like taming the land and taming our bodies and controlling the land. But when we cease to do that, like, and there's a, so there's a lot of movements now with regenerative agriculture, rewilding projects and permaculture where that's what people are realizing. It's like when you allow the, when you work with the land, there is, so you don't have to work as hard. You know, when you allow things to be wild, it's so much easier you know, so within our bodies and on the land too, we have so much more time and energy to just enjoy nature and enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, when you talk to a rabbi, which you are, you have to be ready for a Bible quote or two. Mm. So okay. let, let me just make two biblical references. One is this year uh, in the Jewish calendar. So it's going to go into 2022. But this year in the Jewish calendar is a sabbatical year okay. where if people did it, the entire, you know, you, you let the land lie fallow and you can eat whatever 
the, the earth naturally produces. And you're supposed to allow anyone who's hungry to come and eat off your land. And you, know, you, don't, you don't put barriers up. And you do that every seven years. So we're in the midst of one of these seven-year periods. And mm, interesting. while people are trying to figure out how best to do it, especially in a place like the state of Israel, where that would mean shutting down the, the agricultural economy, most of the effort is how to get around doing it as opposed to actually doing it. But in the biblical, I, I imagine in the, in the biblical context, people, they didn't have these industrial farms and all the rest of that. And you could actually, you know, do that. So how you, like you said, rewild the land is, is of extra import this year. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I was thinking of when we're talking about threat to the, the patriarchy in the Gospel of Matthew in the 13th chapter, I can even give you the verse, verse 31. Jesus presents a parable where he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a mustard seed huh. that a person took and sowed in a field. So a mustard seed, the, the, it's a weed, the mustard yeah. plant. So the kingdom of God is like someone who deliberately, because it says, this person sowed the mustard seed. The kingdom of, of God is like people deliberately sowing weeds and wildness mm. back into the, the culture. Uh, what, what is, I, it sounds like you hadn't heard that one in a while. No. So what is, what is that, how does that speak to you? Oh, I mean, yeah, it, it, that's the power of, of those small things, right? I mean, and that, I mean, to me, that speaks to grassroots efforts or, or these ideas, you know, that are potentially invisible or, but that can just spread like mustard, like weeds, like, yeah, I love that idea. I, I think of another quote that's in the book in the poison, in the chapter about poison ivy, I have a quote by George Washington Carver that says, there is no need for America to go hungry as long as nature provides wild weeds and vegetables. Um, I believe I'm quoting that correctly. So, so that's the other thing too, is just, you know, if we take advantage of these, these resources that are here for free, you know, it's, it, there's, there's so much, it, like I really became interested in herbalism, not just from, you know, the, the perspective. It was more about, activism for me than than making medicine and teaching people how to make medicine quite honestly it was it was like oh my goodness this is such a great gateway for people to reclaim these practices to to reconnect with the land to ideally help honor these plants so we can eradicate these insane practices of killing off free food and medicine you know that are poisoning us so it, it was really from that lens that I started to to get so involved with it and then of course you know the, the i my health has just improved exponentially from this practice it's just and and on, in my own life too i i have let go of so much grasping and and feel so much more at ease and you know not only has my health improved because of taking medicine but just because i feel like this stronger sense of belonging, connect, connection to these practices and my ancestral roots. So it's that, and it's, it's funny to go back to that, that other quote, like the threat is, is, all, is really about just like 
feeling more at home here. And then, but then you're not a really good consumer, are you? I mean, when you're, when you're content. So that's threatening. Yeah. 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 I want to ask you sort of a strange thing that I hadn't thought of when I read the book, but I I heard just the way you talked about weeds. I, I don't know if you did this more than once, but at least once I heard you speak of them as who they are. Mm-hmm. as opposed to what they are. Yeah. And we had a woman on the show who works with beans. She was a Mexican chef, but a healer, and, and she works with beans. And the beans were alive to her in a way where she couldn't speak of them as it's. Yeah. You know, they were, they were, so is it the same? When not you- at all. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but I made a, a concerted effort not to refer to any plant as, as it in the book because it, it others us, right? I mean, to me, they're, they are they're they're sentient beings in their own right and yeah i feel like when we just to refer to them as it it, it's easier just to take without permission or just take without thinking or just to you know they have a role to play in the ecosystem they're we can't exist without them they were here before we were (laughs) i mean in some languages there's like in hebrew there's no word for it oh so you'd only speak of the weeds as um you know, like you did who or, or he or she or you know, something like that, because there is no there is no it. So I'm very cognizant of the time. And I want to have you talk about one more thing. And okay. you end the book with a chapter called Mindful Wild Crafting. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm always looking for a way to end these podcasts, if it's possible, with something that you can you can leave the, the listener with something that she could do to get involved in, in this work of reclaiming her wildness or his wildness. So, so can you talk a little bit about my mindful wild crafting and help people who want to get started in this practice um, get started? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, mindful wild crafting, you know, it, it's, you know, like you touched on, it's really about awareness of your environment. Right. So obviously you need to make sure that you are harvesting a plant in an area that's safe to do so. You know, you don't want to harvest. You want to. I like to build relationship with plants on city streets and to identify them, but I would never harvest from there. That's not a, that's not a healthy place to harvest. Um, so first surveying your environment, being aware of your environment, if it's safe for you to harvest and if you're planning to ingest the plant, really, really making sure that you know how to identify the plant clearly. Also being clear about your intention. Why are you harvesting the plant? And then if, and then if you have a clear intention, for example, to make a tincture, how much do you need? You know, don't, don't take more than you need. And even if, for example, I set out to harvest a particular plant, but I, I, I get to my the location and there isn't enough, you know, if I know that the, whether it's the pollinators or the other animals or, or just the, the, the land itself needs that plant more than I do, I won't take it. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's harvesting with reverence for the environment that you're in. It builds relationship to the environment that you're in because you're really paying attention. You're paying close attention. And then I really like the, the permission is, is a, is respect. You know, you're respecting the land. You're not just taking. So going back to what we were talking about before about consent, you know, it's a, you're building a different kind of relationship. You're asking, you're acknowledging, and you're realizing that you're taking the life of another sentient being, you know, and that's, that's powerful, you know, just to, to, to just, and it doesn't take very long to, 
go through all of that in your mind. And, and then just the, the, you know, all of my teachers from, and, and if you go back to various indigenous traditions, there is this exchange. And I was taught to do that too, just to leave a token of gratitude, whether it's a genuine thank you, like I, the act of plucking your hair from your head is very similar to plucking a plant from the land. So that's what I sometimes do. And it creates, like you said, it is, it is a very, it's a momentary ritual, but it's, it's really beautiful. And it, it's, a, it's a deep act of reverence and, and a deep act of thanks. And it just, it, yeah, I feel so grateful. And, and then it's just become woven into the way that I do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very powerful. Uh, the, the whole notion of rewilding, re reclaiming your, your wild nature, being a threat to the powers that be that, that are really trying to tame us in, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm putting, I'm saying this, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but tame us in service to the, you know, our corporate overlords kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, th this is just fabulous stuff. And I thank you very much for writing the book as well as as being on the podcast our guest today vanessa shakur is the author of awakening artemis deepening intimacy with the living earth and reclaiming our wild nature you can learn more about her work at vanessashakur.com and you can look in uh, spirituality and health magazine she will be featured in an upcoming issue vanessa thank you so much for talking with us on the spirituality and health podcast thank you i really enjoyed it so did I. Thanks. You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at SpiritHealthMag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.